You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms, specifically the new shotgun from Savage called the Renegade. Now, the Renegade is a badass shotgun, and it has a dual-regulating inline valve gas system. The patented self-regulating gas system allows high-power and low-power loads to cycle with the same consistency. This means 3-inch magnums down to lower recoil 2 and 3-quarter cartridges. If you want to find out more information about the Savage Renegade, visit savagearms.com. podcast brought to you by expedition archery i'm your host adam parr and you're listening to episode number 66 where i talk with pj del home hunting editor of bugle magazine hello and thanks again for tuning into the transition wild podcast the number one source for western big game hunting spring is here i am really digging the warmer weather and and getting a break from the snow here in colorado and and with that i am ready to chase some turkeys man i have not really hunted turkeys too much here in colorado i think like three four years ago is when i killed my last turkey went out to illinois and took one with a shotgun but i'm ready to put the new mx-16 expedition bow to work on a on a mountain gobbler that'd be pretty sweet and i actually have uh if you listen to the previous episode with heads up decoy i i got my turkey decoy all mounted on my bow i got the bow mount got the fan got the turkey decoy and it looks really sweet i'm so excited to be mobile and and really run and gun some turkeys with my bow so we'll see see if we can get it done. I, I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> I don't have a lot of experience hunting here in the mountains with turkeys, just kind of Midwest stuff and in, in my home state of Michigan, but we'll, uh, we'll get after them. The season here in Colorado goes till the end of May. So I've got some time. It's, it's, uh, mid late no- uh, November, uh, mid late April right now. And, uh, here in a couple weeks, I'll be able to kind of do some double duty. The shed season opens up in Colorado, May 1st. So you can't start looking for sheds until May 1st on all public lands west of Denver. So 
um, a public land guy. So I'm going to get out there and get after it and see if I can find some elk and some deer shed. So that'll be, that'll be cool. So hopefully you guys are able to get out and, and, and do some hunting and some scouting and just get some fresh air, get away from it all right now. Things are a little bit crazy and hope everyone's staying safe. All right. My guest today is PJ Delhomme with Bugle Magazine. He's the hunting editor of the magazine and just a really cool, really interesting guy. I had a great conversation with him, hearing his stories about uh, you know how he started working for Bugle and becoming a writer and some of the stories he's worked on over the years and, and talking a little bit about the organization and how it got started and just a, a really fun conversation with PJ. I, again, I really enjoyed this. Hope you guys do as well. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get PJ on the line. Before we begin, today's episode is brought to you by Expedition Archery, manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience. Expedition bows combine aerospace level quality, innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an expedition. All right, on the line with us now, PJ Delhomme with Bugle Magazine. How are you doing today, PJ? I'm pretty good, Adam. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, just trying to avoid the zombies right now and all the madness, so I'm, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm just hunkered down here in the basement trying to get some work done. So the kids are upstairs uh, doing their homeschooling, which they've been about, I think we're on week three or four. I don't know, the days all seem to kind of run together now. <laughs> I know, right? So, Yeah, yeah, that's got to be a interesting dynamic to, you know, everybody's at at home, you're trying to get work done. The kids are trying to go to school. It's, uh, I imagine it's, it, it kind of wears on you after a while, but you know, every, you know everyone's they've in it held together. up. We are all in it together, but you know, the kids have held up better than my wife and I have. So that's, <laughs> well, that's been, good. that's been really interesting. She, uh, she's a nurse at the, one of the local hospitals here oh, wow. and, um, she works, she works nights and <laughs> those, those, those nights, those days that she gets to sleep, um, those are fun homeschool days. So it, I'm sort of bouncing back and forth between the basement and upstairs. But, you know, I don't know where we'd be without computers and the Internet and homeschool. I guess a lot of workbooks and worksheets, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, technology is is definitely, I guess it's very ingrained in our lives. And I guess during this time, it's it's probably a good thing. So we can still somewhat function and, and, and be normal. You know, without it, we'd we'd all be just kind of banging our head against the wall, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've seen in Montana, man. I think people are over Netflix. They've given it a good few weeks now, and um, <laughs> the golf courses is starting to come alive, and the the public lands around Missoula are just absolutely a mob scene. So unless you get out super early or wait till after dinner time, it's. Uh, it's, or go somewhere where there's not a popular trailhead, which is probably the best thing to do. Um, you're going to see crowds of people. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Pe- people are trying to get out and about for sure. I bet. I bet. Now, uh, have, you, have you been able to get outside? Like, do you got any plans in the works for this spring? Any bear hunting? Any turkey hunting? Any fishing? What are you up to lately? 
I would like to say all, yes to all three, um, <laughs> but right now, that <laughs> we got a seven-year-old and a ten-year-old at home, and um, yeah, you know that all that stuff has sort of been put on hiatus for a bit. We're gonna—I like to take the kids out. We uh, we do a little bit of shooting, just starting to get them into shooting twenty-twos and shooting a bow and arrow, and uh, got them a slingshot. Slingshot and paintball seem to be the best thing for a ten-year-old boy in the world. So we go out. Oh and yeah, we just take the dog. We like to take the dog for a walk, get the, get her out, and uh, no no hunting per se. Fishing is going to start ramping up here pretty soon. <laughs> the, the rivers yesterday, I took them out to the Lee Metcalf Wildlife Refuge, and we got to see a bunch of turkeys and some pheasant, and the turkeys were strutting around, so that was pretty fun. Um, nice. But uh, the fishing access was just obscene. Just everybody on the river, and you know the, the water didn't look that great, but people didn't care. They were just on the water, and I'd never seen more people at the refuge uh, than I than I did yesterday. So oh, wow. Was, uh, people are getting out, man. <laughs> it's good. So yeah. um, we do a lot of fishing in the summertime. Um, we go up to Sealy Lake here, and uh, they've got some um, perch and some smallmouth and lots of trout, obviously. But, um, yeah, yeah, we have, we have a lot of fun that way. So... Very no nice. hunting plans necessarily. I kind of save all that stuff up for the fall. Yeah. Well, what's what's that look like? Uh, did you obviously elk hunting, but you know any other hunts planned? And and, and what's that look like? I keep putting in for my favorite elk hunt, um, and I never draw it, so I don't know what that means. Well, bummer. But, uh, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty dismal draw rate, and uh, we did a we did a bugle story on what's your actual. Uh, odds are yeah chad wrote that right Uh, chad carmen he he sure did yeah Yeah, he did a great job he's kind of a numbers guy yeah so that was my whole whole connection to to you and and to mark is meeting chad in a in a hotel at ata and uh (laughs) so that's where all this kind of transpired from chad's a good guy shout out to chad yeah no chad's great yeah he's got a good energy and um he he wrote that story, and so the long story short is that your draw odds are even worse than actually published when you do the math. So you're you're for Montana anyway. Your best odds are going to be buying a super tag um, if yeah. it's for like a really if it's a really hard draw. So um, did not draw anything, but you know we're lucky enough to get over the counter tags um, here in Montana for a resident, and um, you know we got really good elk hunting. You know an hour or two drive from Missoula. And I get out when I can, man. It's um, I'm a weekend weekend warrior like a, a lot of us out there. And I, I'll be able to take maybe if three or four days during rifle season and go hunt with a buddy. And, you know, I'd, I tell people, you know, my job title, oh, man, you must get to hunt all over the place. And <laughs> it just must be all this private land. And it's like, man, I'm out there rubbing elbows with the rest of you. Yeah. Like, I, I don't get special treatment. I, I do get skunked. And uh, it's it's a tough pill to to swallow sometimes, but I think it's only fair. It um you know I'm I'm out there on the public land with the rest of us, just trying to get it done. And um, so yeah, I love archery hunting. It's fun. I like I like the weather during archery hunting a lot because I like to ride my bike. Oh yeah, um, and to access access some of these places because uh, just if you ride your bike all summer, you might as well do it in the fall too. So just take your bow with you and then rifle season comes around and it's time to get to business you know the fun's over and now it's just try to try to fill the freezer with something yeah no kidding no kidding uh yeah we got we got to get you a, a quiet cat e-bike get you back in there a little quicker 
<laughs> right. I don't know. I'm a little torn. You know, it's like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some people think it's taboo and some people are like, ah, I love it. You know, it's kind of personal preference, but, you know, I understand for sure. Well, it's, it's funny. I, I borrowed one of my friends one time and I just never ended up pedaling. It was just so nice to just go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Save those legs for the mountain, man. You know? Yeah, I don't have to get all sweaty and I just kind of cruise on up the hill quietly. <laughs> so. <laughs> Nice. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so are you from Montana, the Missoula area originally, or where did you grow up? So I grew up in Alabama. Oh, wow. And yeah, I moved out here about 20 years ago. Um, and just, uh, yeah, in Alabama, that little town called Fairhope, which is sort of right on Mobile, not sort of, it is on Mobile Bay down there and, you know, access to the Gulf and um, it's a little more outdoorsy, I guess, than, than a lot, some places in the South, I guess, but a lot of fishing, not a ton of hunting. Um, and then moved out to, uh, the West to basically work in Yellowstone for a couple of summers, uh, making beds and, uh, scrubbing toilets and then decided I was not going back to Alabama to go to college and <laughs> decided to, uh, <laughs> decided to become a Montana resident and, uh, did some jobs, did, uh, did the Air Corps program to, get some money for school with the Montana Conservation Corps and digging trails and roofing houses and just basically whatever they told us to do. Uh, most of that was outside as well. We did some stints in Yellowstone, doing some trail reroutes and some trail construction and um, having the time of my life. I was 19, 20, 21, oh, wow. something like that. The golden and, years. Uh, it was just it was. It really was. Not you know, not to take anything away from these days. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the I got those years to think about sometimes. <laughs> so it was uh the spinning falls in Yellowstone doing trail reroutes was uh was a good time. So yeah. I bet. I bet. And got did, money for school. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's important. And and, and so did you really get into more of the hunting side once you moved west is that when you it really took shape because it sounds like maybe it wasn't as big in alabama where you grew up but when you moved to montana is that when you kind of got into that whole scene yeah it's exactly right um you know and it's probably i just didn't associate it hunting was probably big where i was i just none of my friends did it um didn't grow up in a hunting household no okay no we fished we fished a little bit but uh, hunting just wasn't on the radar. But then when I moved to Montana, it was like, man, it seems like everybody and their uncle. I first moved to Bozeman uh, in 98, and uh, or excuse me, 99. And that's before Bozeman had this big blow up and yeah. became what it, what it is now. And it was still still pretty sleepy town and it seemed like everybody and their uncle was a hunter. And then I was like, well, I, I guess I better figure this thing out. So I got a job at a, and uh, one of my buddies I worked trails with, he his girlfriend's dad had uh, um, a game processor called Yellowstone Processing. And um, I got a job with them one fall because summer trail season was over and basically got into hunting from the inside out, as I like to say, so <laughs> working, at the, working at the processor and learning the ins and outs because I wanted to do it all myself. I wanted to process it. I wanted to gut it and sort of, you know, yeah. learn about weapons and, and tracking and all that stuff came after the fact. So I learned how to process something first, but then I had to go learn how to kill it. So that, that was that was that was a good time. And actually, the story I revisited Buzz. Buzz was my my boss. He's, he owned the 
Yellowstone processing, but I got to go back and revisit them um, a few years, maybe five, six years ago, and uh, do a story for Outdoor Life featuring them and um, just a family-run um, game processor and what the ins and outs are of that. So that was really cool. It was really neat to go back and see everybody, and they're still there. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah, that that would be a a cool job when you're you're younger, especially. I mean, for me, like always going to the processor when I was a young hunter or before I really started getting into it, you know, going with my dad or whatever, going to the processor and seeing all those deer heads laying there and I'm like, "Ah, you know, I want I want to kill one of those. I want to get get a nice buck like that." And I'm sure you saw mm-hmm. a lot of cool animals rolling through there. <laughs> we sure did. Uh we <laughs> Yeah, cool animals and uh interesting folks too it's uh yeah I mean, i'd say 90 percent of the time the the hunters that rolled through there really had a a solid respect for the animals and the meat and then you know you get your 10 percent of those guys they're just like oh man are we really going to take this animal in and buzz turned away a few folks and was like no I've yeah been sitting in the back of your truck for a little too long <laughs> man, you you need to have a little more respect for the animal. Yeah. And, uh, but that wasn't that wasn't very uh, – we didn't see that a whole lot. But some people were very excited to come in. It's always fun to um, talk with the hunters. And, you know, they want to tell their story because they're yeah. still jacked up from the hunt. And it was great <laughs> for us because we got to take a break from the cutting table. And it was uh, – yeah, it was, uh, it was a good job. There's no way that I think I could do that now. I was working four tens and just sitting there. And back then we used to uh, – a cold water hose to spray off all the bloodshot and the hair. And, um, you're just, and it's cold. You're in a cooler. And, uh, <laughs> there's, n- there's no way that I could do that job now. I guess if I had to, I'd figure it out, but there's no way that I would want to. Yeah. Um, it well, was, it's for a young, a young soul. That's for sure. <laughs> well, it makes you appreciate the wild game a little bit more, you know, all that goes into it, all the work and everything. I'm, oh yeah. It probably makes it taste a little better today. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool. So, so, uh, so that was kind of like a job, you know, in your early, sound like early twenties or whatever. And, and, um, and then were you going to school at that same time? And, and what did that look like? Did, what was your degree degree in and, and kind of what were you chasing on that front? Yeah, sure. And so I was, I was, I did the seven year undergrad program. I was in and out of school. I should have been a doctor, but I guess <laughs> I was just going for an undergrad, but I was in and out of school. So I would, I would work, save up some money, go to school, run out of money, work, go to school, sort of that little that, that yeah. sort of progression there. And doing AmeriCorps helped quite a bit because they would give you money for school and a very modest living stipend. Um, but I got an English degree from Montana State, and then um, then I went back to school after I met a girl who lived in Missoula and couldn't find a job in Missoula. So I went back to school and uh, got a master's in uh, environmental writing, and that sort of led to, not sort of, it led to an internship with Bugle wow. uh, Magazine, and yeah, they were gracious enough to to take me on as an intern, and then uh, I did my internship for a semester, which was good, and met everybody and got my foot in the door, so to speak, and then it was um, three years later that somebody actually left bugle and there was a job opening um and so i was i was one of the finalists and it was quite an extensive job interview application process because we had to we had to write a story we had to edit a story and then there was 
some other component. I don't know what it would take a writing test or something like that. But I remember so those those, those three years that I um, was between uh, internship and actually working there, I was putting in sprinkler underground sprinkler systems, and I remember having to write this article about elk hunting, elk culling in Rocky Mountain National Park, and uh, just being covered in mud and interviewing the Rocky Mountain National Park superintendent, you know, about this elk hunt, trying to take notes, and so I could get this story back to the the editors um, in on time. And uh, I don't know, it's just one of those things that you don't forget. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty crazy. So you so you interned there, um, you got a job with them. Sounds like three years later, but you you mentioned a little earlier on that on the story of the processing plant. Did you work for Outdoor Life as well at one point, or freelance, or? No, that was just a freelance article here okay. that I did a few Got years it. ago. So, you go into uh, we worked with um, Andrew McKean a little bit in the past, and, and Outdoor Life on various on various projects. And when you go to things like Shot Show or ATA or whatever, you get to get to meet folks, and that's part of the. You know, all the products are cool, but when you go to their shows, it's really just meeting and shaking hands and, yeah. you know, seeing how everybody's fall was and how the family's doing and been doing it 13 years, just sort of, you know, oh, kids graduating high school or college, you know, that's great. You know, I remember when you showed me photos of their first deer or elk or whatever. And so, but making those contacts and those relationships and with like uh, uh, Andrew and um, Outdoor Life. So that's, that's sort of how that came about. So... Very cool. It worked out well, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so it sounded like after you did the internship, you got the job three years later with Bugle, and and you've been there ever since, it sounds like. And what was that initial – what were you doing initially on on those early years? Was just kind of a a staff writer, or were you doing some editing as well? And then you kind of progressed up to your current position? So I want to say about three years, I was the assistant editor, and then our hunting editor decided to retire, and then they they moved me into that position as nice. hunting editor. So yeah, so that worked out well. I've been in that position for ten, eleven years now. Very cool, very cool. And yeah, what what is that as as a hunting editor, uh, Bugle Magazine? What is that day to day? I mean. What does that look like? I mean, obviously you're working with with stories and articles and and writers and but are you also kind of on the production like logistics side of getting everything printed? Are you involved in any of that or is it more just kind of the writing and editing process? I'd love to say it was all writing and all editing, but um <laughs> I, I I think 50% of my day is honestly devoted to emails. Um Got to it. straight up communication yeah. because um my email is bugle at rmes.org so whenever somebody sends a hunting story or some sort of message or issue or whatever about bugle it comes to that email address and i think that's still just left over from when i was the assistant editor that we never actually passed that on to anybody else (laughs) for better or worse um so yeah i do a lot of emails and i do get to read some stories uh also involved in no numerous departments that bugle has you know we've got situation ethics which is a great uh great department uh, i'm wayne van's walls editor which 
you know, it's kind of a humbling position to be in because that guy's forgotten more about rifles than I'll ever learn. <laughs> um, he's our rifles columnist, and then I'm also uh, Chuck Adams' editor. So there's a lot of, like, you know, email back and forth. Hey, where's your story? Or, hey, what do you think of this version? Or what do you think of these edits? Okay, you don't like those. I'll get back to you. Um, you know, and then the actual... We do produce these things called uh, Gear 101 videos where we work with a lot of our partners and we feature their 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 products like like Sitka for instance they're coming out with a new a uh, couple of new products that are not on the market yet but so they gave us some prototypes and we're going to film some videos um, just highlighting some of those features and we do about two dozen of those with various partners and so writing those scripts I'm the model I'm the writer I'm not the videographer or the editor thankfully we have a, a great in-house videographer who's good to work with and he does those um, and then, you know, writing stories and editing stories is sort of like the dessert once you get done eating all your vegetables and <laughs> you know, all, your, all your mashed potatoes. You get to actually maybe write a story once in a while. Yeah. So that, that, that's kind of nice. I was going to say, how do, you, how do you find the time to write a story? It, you're, it sounds like you got so many moving parts and working with so many other people and emails. I imagine it's, it's got to be a little bit tough to sit down and, and all right, okay, now I, now I can write. <laughs> Well, you know, I think that's the nature of a writer. They're just they're they're naturally procrastinators and they put stuff off. So when you just you just gotta force yourself to sit down and be like, All right, just like I'm gonna do my taxes now, I'm gonna get this done, like I'm gonna write this story. And then when you start writing it, you're like, Oh wow, this is really fun. Like this is why I enjoy this and then when you actually see it in the magazine, you're like, Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And then you get feedback from people, so there's some validation there too. Yeah. Like um this latest bugle I was able to uh to write um, Iceman of the Tatsushini was sort of a follow-up article that we ran from 20 years ago about these uh, these sheep hunters who found um, a body, basically, in uh, in British Columbia while they were on a sheep hunt. Oh, wow. And I don't want to give, give it away because I want people to become members and read their bugles yeah. about the story. But um, it's just sort of, they go back. Um, I think it was four years later. They go back and they find more and it's sort of a circle that they complete uh, because there was definitely some unfinished business the first time around. Uh, and I wanted to do a follow-up story to that article. And um, Bill Hanlon was one of the hunters, and he's just just an amazing guy to, to just talk with and hear his adventures. And, um, yeah, he's just a, and he's an incredible hunter. He just goes after it. I mean, talks about hiking 30 miles like it's not that big of a deal. But, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that sounds uh, anyway, cool. Anyway, so stuff like that is very rewarding, and and meeting and working with people like Bill and others, so that's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that. I I haven't got the latest issue yet, and I'm even more looking forward to it because you know, hats off to you guys, and and thank you so much, PJ, for uh, including me in this issue as well. It's uh, pretty exciting. I'm excited to see my first magazine article published in a magazine i'm i uh, can not wait to get my hands on it so uh thanks again no, for working with me there yeah i was happy to be a part of it and as you you know have experienced the process sometimes we you know writers send us uh stories or ideas and then it's a it is a process to we have a certain style and a certain tone and angle that we want to achieve that yeah. our members and readers expect to see in their magazine and 
we just work with the writers, the, you know, numerous revisions. And that's why it's nice to have, you know, a two month lead time on a lot of these issues and just work with people to, to get the interviews, to get the information, to be accurate, to double check. And, yeah, you know, sometimes, sometimes that can take a week. Sometimes that can take a month. You just never know. But um, <laughs> I really like how your article turned out. And I think our readers are really going to enjoy it because, um, you know, hunting the front country is something that can a lot of people can relate to. I can relate to it. I mean, if I only have a day to get out there, I don't have a day to hike in the back of the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So yeah. If, if I just want to, you know, stick close to town or I got to be back by three because my wife's got to go to work at six, you know, somebody's got to watch the kids. Yeah. So, yeah. One of those things. So. Yeah. I've, I've already got some people have already texted me and say, hey, man, saw your article. That's that's pretty cool. Loved it. You know, so it's it's pretty neat. So I'm 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 excited to to get my hands on it for sure. <laughs> awesome. Oh, cool. Awesome. Hopefully everybody likes it as well. So if not, we'll hear about it. Don't yeah, worry. exactly. <laughs> please, please send me all the hate mail to uh, Adam at transitionwild.com. <laughs> as long as your math is right, it, it, we found that whenever we have, we really try hard to to you know get accurate information out there. Very few typos that we know of. But when we do screw up, like sometimes I'll screw up in Carnivore's Kitchen. Um, I edit that section. We've got a great writer. But sometimes I'll put an extra zero on there or an extra one or something, and, and, and the recipe won't add up. And uh, people will try it. <laughs> people will try it. And it's unfortunate because they're in their kitchen and they're, they've got all these ingredients out. And they, we screwed it up for them telling them what to do. And uh, we'll hear about it. So, yeah. It's which is fair. Be... Which is only fair. Yeah. Yeah two cups of flour and you put a zero it's 20 cups of flour and uh-huh. people are like yeah exactly what is this brick i just made this is crazy <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, that's funny that's we try funny. not to do that yeah yeah uh well very cool what so did you know that from like an early age like when you were let's say middle school or high school or that you enjoyed writing and this was something that you wanted to do or is it something that kind of happened a little bit later once you moved to montana no, I just, you know, I just sort of, I don't know. It just, things just started falling into place and moving out to Montana without, I didn't have any contacts here. I just, I just moved out and sort of went with it. And, um, you just sort of, whatever falls into place, you just make the best of it. And I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of luck involved, but it's like, you see opportunity and you roll with it. And I mean, hindsight, I worked for the forest service as a forestry tech, and I just like to be outside in the woods. We did riparian surveys for bull trout habitat, and that was a cool summer where you just basically walk upstream, and, I mean, you're counting pebbles, you're counting woody debris, you're counting – it's hot, but you're in the creek, which is kind of nice. So you got a crew – and um, anyway, and you just, I mean, you're in the absolute middle of nowhere, Montana. There isn't a trail for miles, and you're just walking up this creek, and um, you see a lot of the country. I thought that's what I wanted to do, but then, you know, life takes funny turns. You get married, you you have kids, and you're like, oh god, I can't really have a field season <laughs> where I'm gone for four days out of the week, and uh, you know, I got a family back home. So you, you figure out what you can do, and you make it work that way. So there was no grand plan. Let's put it that way. <laughs> just sort of, I just sort of went with it. And, uh, thankfully it all, it's working out just fine. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I know for me when I was younger, like I didn't really enjoy math. I didn't, science was like, okay. 
Um, but like I always enjoyed or looked forward to writing class or, you know, mm-hmm. even in college. And I felt like it was something – it didn't feel like work or it didn't feel like schoolwork. So I just – I don't know. I, I started the blog and the website, and I've always wanted to do, you know, some freelance magazine stuff. And and uh, it's just something that I've always – enjoy it. I never thought I would do it more of something a little bit what I'm doing right now, but, um, it's always fun and, and, and it just seems like it's come natural to me. And it's probably the same way with you. You kind of either have it or you don't, I guess you can kind of perfect it over the years, I'm sure. And, and, and you have, but, um, it's probably something that just kind of started out as something that you really enjoyed. Yeah, it, uh, I guess, you know, looking back on it, now that you mention it, I've, I've had a journal since I was 18, so I'm 43 now. Oh, wow. So I've, I've, I've got a few volumes of of memories here. I wouldn't say they're literature, but just going back and, and thinking, yeah, I guess I did sort of keep a keep a writing log of some sort of whatever adventures. And I just, <laughs> I don't know, when I was going to school, I just liked, to, I liked reading the classics. I didn't maybe necessarily understand them. But they were fun to read, and I always wondered why. I guess I read so many good books that when you pick up a really bad one, you're like, wow. <laughs> it stands I, out. terrible. <laughs> yeah, it really stands out. So if you, if you stick to the good stuff, you're, uh, I don't know, it, it's hard to, I guess it's hard to tell sometimes. But um, I think writing for me is, it's tough to just sit down and start doing it. But again, it's once you start doing it, you enjoy it, and you discover new things, and um, new techniques, and for me as being an editor, it's really fun to work with members who aren't writers. You know, they they work on boilers or they're tradespeople or whatever, and um, they've got a cool story to tell. So helping them dig, you know, they'll send you maybe 500 words, and you're like, holy mackerel, that is a cool story. Um, you know, email them back and say, hey this is great. I'd like to see it in Bugle, but we got to work on this. Are you willing to work on it? And once you get them interested that way, and it's like the end all, you know, they're really cool about yeah. wanting to have a story in Bugle. <laughs> and I, it, 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 I have to remind myself of that, like, hey, this is a big deal for a lot of people. And it's kind of neat that way. And then you work with them and you get a cool story and they have some photos so you you sort of take this raw story and 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 polish it up and make it into something cool and and it's still their story but knowing that you help them uh create that is pretty cool uh that's that's really that's probably the most fun part of my job yeah i bet yeah that's uh yeah just the dynamic that you probably see come through of you know people of all walks of life and ages and and all the cool stories i can only imagine how uh how neat that is that's got to be really satisfying and gratifying at the same time oh i meet so many i meet so many neat people uh all of whom most of i'd say 99 percent of them are members and um they they like the magazine and they have one or two incredibly memorable hunting stories and they want to tell somebody about it and you know, sometimes it works out for us, and I think we get probably two to three hundred submissions, unsolicited submissions a year for hunting stories alone, and maybe we print twenty to thirty of those. So, ten percent. Oh wow! Um, is our acceptance, and sometimes you just get a story, and you're like, you know, this is a 
this is a cool story. It's memorable. You and your brother went out and you, you killed a bull. That's great. But for us, there has to be some sort of extra angle or element to it to make it into a bugle story. Um, it, it can't just be a hunting story. It has to be, you know, we've got a guy, uh, again, I don't want to give you too much information because this is coming out in the bow hunting section in July, August, but there's a guy that lost one of his legs um, in a farming accident, and all he could think of was going bow hunting again and killing an elk in Montana, and he's from Michigan. And he, that's what that's what drove him uh, to get better and to heal uh, in oh, part. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and it's like, oh, okay, I guess my bow season wasn't that bad. Yeah, so, no kidding, know, right? It's, like, it's a, a little perspective goes a long way, but you just, and that story came in rough, and it was just like, holy mackerel, and he was awesome to work with. Um, he's he, he does mechanical stuff at, uh, at a university there in Michigan, and he's like, we're just back and forth, back and forth, um, just with different drafts, and he was great to work with, and It'll be coming out in the uh, July August special section. So, oh yeah. wow, that seems really cool. Fun. Yeah, fun stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, when I moved, um, I grew up in Michigan, and when I moved to Colorado in 2015, like I, I immediately became a member of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and you know that first issue of Bugle Magazine, like you know, I got it, and I was like, man, this is like, one. First of all, I mean, it's really meaty. I mean, it's it's a it's a very thick magazine with a lot of good content and stories and it's just something about it from the very first time I read that magazine it just it's just different and it's 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 really a step above <laughs> a, a lot of other magazines out there just from you know the the photography the the stories the the editorial work it's it's pretty amazing it's very diverse um i guess what what makes bugle different like what do you guys it sounds like you have a really intensive editing process and, and everything, but like, I guess, how do you, how do you go about producing such a high quality magazine? Well, first off, thanks. That's really nice to hear. And, um, we, you know, I, I go to, well, I guess back when the bookstores were open, I would go there and just sort of grab a handful of hunting magazines. And, and this is not saying that I, I created this, but what I do is, look at the hunting magazines and read some of the stories and figure, all right, that's, that's a cool story, but, you know, that's not really a bugle story or whatever. So yeah. long ago, back in 84, when they started Bugle, and it's sort of, and it's evolved to a point where we, again, we want a, a hunting story with more of an angle. We want a celebration. I mean, not, <laughs> I'd say probably... 60% of our hunting stories would end with a dead animal. I mean, that's not the end-all, be-all of an of a adventure or a hunting tale. It, it, we're looking for family. We're looking for camaraderie. We're looking for, um, um, I guess, encouragement, like set an example. Um, just any story with an angle that has to deal with one of those characteristics. Um, and, and I think that's what sets us apart. Um, I like other. I I like. Um, I think Grace Boarding Journal does a really good job with with hunting stories. Um, that's one of my favorite what, magazines. What's that I one like called? Read. Grace. Grace. Okay. G. Grace Boarding Journal. Check I that think out. they do a really cool job. Um, but we also have some some stalwarts. I mean, we've got Wayne Van Zwall, who's our rifles columnist that I mentioned earlier. 
and he is just he has a following it's amazing and i'm a little sheepish to even edit his uh his column or his department <laughs> because i mean when i do it's like i better be right yeah. or he better yeah. it comes in so clean that i rarely have to do anything to it but you know I'll always send it back to wayne and, and typically there's some back and forth there because he is just a professional and he is spot on and he wants his stuff to be perfect and um, his following recognizes that and we hear, we hear more about his stuff than I think most any writer that we have um, and then uh, we got Chuck Adams he's our bows and arrows columnist he's a great guy to work oh, with that's that's some of my favorite stuff to read there you know like his tactics and stories and it's just that that particular you know piece every issue is is amazing I love it yeah, and even if you're a rifle hunter, you're going to learn something from him. Yeah. Because he's going to have tactics and tricks and, and things like that that you're going to be able to apply. And then in our situation ethics, um, that to me just stands out as one of the coolest departments that we've got because it's just, you know, I, I when I look for, I get those stories too, and I'm the editor for that department, but I would, we don't go with the stories that are black and white. Like, Oh, this is illegal. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's sort, of, sort of a no brainer. You shouldn't have done that. Or, you, you know, you, but then there's like this law, there's a line between what's legal and ethical. And it's like, uh, a lot of times we get stories about, I had a cow tag, but there, or I had a bull tag, but I saw this wounded cow and I knew she was wounded and I went back and forth and we had a story like that. And it was a law enforcement officer. And he's like, I can't shoot this cow. I want to shoot this cow. She's wounded. She's going to die a horrible, miserable death. Yeah. But I'm a law enforcement. I can't use my position as a, as a, as law enforcement to um, convince another law enforcement officer that, Hey, this was the right thing to do that. I had to do this. Like I could also be triggered. You know, lots of things going through his mind at this point and um, stuff like that. That's just really unique and engaging and that you're going to, if you hunt long enough, you're going to, experience these things in the field and you're going to have to deal with them one way or the other right or wrong whatever yeah. you're going to have to figure it out i love that section it's a hard one to edit because there's a there's a lot of back and forth again but um it's really fun to to be a part of um, yeah i bet i bet and and uh you know cool stuff too every once in a while you'll see like a story come through where they harvested an elk on land that was opened up through the work of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or, you know, opened up some public land access and they killed a, a bull there. Those are those are always really neat to, to read as well. Yep, and we all, obviously we try to highlight that stuff. And our magazine is, it's what our members get. Like, this is our way to communicate. There's Facebook, there's, there's all that stuff. But, man, it's, <laughs> I think people, especially our demographic with our membership, like, they want that magazine. They've oh, all yeah. received it. They still want it. It's tangible. They're not going to go read it online. Some people will, but most of our readers are not going to read it online. They want to get it in the mail. They want to sit down. Some people always say they read it cover to cover. And it's like we want to convey what we're doing when we're raising all this money, when they're going to these banquets and spending way more money than they would ever spend on, on whatever, you know, a $1,200 rifle, they're going to pay 1500 for it. Yeah. So why would they do that? Well, you know that money. Some of that money comes back to us, and we put it on the ground for, for places like, um, you know, pub, open up to public access. Um, we're working 
with uh, you know, right now it's kind of weird with with planned projects too, with the whole COVID thing. But yeah, thankfully we we have a lot of we have a great conservation and lands department, and so when we raise that money, they put it to to work. They put it on the ground. Then they tell us those stories. Then we get to write about them. Then we get to tell the member, and we get to celebrate that stuff, and hopefully generate our volunteers have so much passion it's unbelievable yeah you know we've so got cool. i think the latest number is like eleven thousand volunteers out there and these are people who could be out hunting or four-wheeling or doing whatever else they want but instead they're they're putting on a banquet they're spending all these hours being on committees and they're raising money it's pretty amazing stuff it, it really is that all these people are out there um, helping put on these banquets and doing these projects, doing these fencing projects, uh, just because they want to, and, uh, and that's that's humbling too. When you, I go to work because I get paid for it, and, but they're out there. Do, uh, they, I do love it. Don't get me wrong, but they're out there not getting paid for it. And what are they getting paid for? They're getting paid um, memories. Um, yeah, knowing that they did a good thing. Um, it's great, and, and I've been on a few of those projects, and it's amazing to see their passion. Uh, and their camaraderie and just how er nice everybody is like they want to be there yeah that's it's good it's great that's really cool that's a long answer to your question (laughs) that's pretty cool no yeah no it's it's a great organization for sure and and uh when i was talking to mark holyoke when i had him on the podcast a few months back he mentioned that bugle like the magazine was like a very important aspect from very early on you know when they when rocky mountain elk foundation was founded you know, the magazine was part of that mission, you know, to help spread the word, to, to give something back to the members. And uh, I guess, do, do you know a little bit more of the backstory of, like, how that all began? Was it, like, just a couple of writers in a, in a basement, you know, getting together and working with a publisher and <laughs> printing house? And what, what did that look like? Do you know? I don't know. So I was seven when this whole thing started. So I don't, <laughs> what I what I can glean from the legend and the lore is that you know we started up in Troy, Montana. I mean, northwest corner of Montana. Back then, I don't know how many people lived in Troy, but it, there's not many people live there Ten. now. So it could have been, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but you know, so it was. Uh, you had a pastor, a realtor, a logger, and a drive-in <laughs> owner. And they yeah, all, exactly. they got together. I mean, they drained their bank accounts and um, they mailed out um, 43,000 brochures to people. I don't know how they got that list or whatever, but they promised a magazine subscription about elk and elk hunting. Um, so, I mean, out of that 43,000, 233 people replied and became members. Wow. So they 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 printed 32,000 copies of uh, the first issue of Bugle, and they mailed out those issues. But then they basically just drove around the Northwest and handed out uh, grocery stores, gas stations, sporting goods stores, whatever, handed out those issues. Um, and that was the driving force to, to membership at the time because um, by the end of 84, uh, they had 2,500 members. Wow. So Bugle Bugle has always been uh, the outreach for the Elk Foundation. And I think that's how they drummed up more support and how they got the word out because I mean, we're talking 1984, man. We're yeah. pre-internet. No kidding. People are still you know, using pay phones. 
Um, back in the good old days. So yeah. it's like, that's how information, <laughs> the information superhighway was an actual highway. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. It sounds like a real bootstrap effort from early on, you know, just delivering, like, almost really like was. delivering newspapers to stores, you know, similar to that. You, you, and then people see that and they read the magazine like, oh, this is cool. And, you know, join. And that's, uh, that's really neat to, to know that the magazine was really kind of the the catalyst to to maybe you know getting the membership off the ground and running it's pretty neat yeah i i mean i could be wrong but i like to think that the magazine had a big <laughs> big hand in that I but i mean so. they were on the ground too they were going to sports shows they were pitching their mission i mean it was just about as it was as grassroots as you can possibly get and to think that i've been there for 13 years uh, working there it's been around for over 30 years uh, it's just pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is for sure. Um, what uh, What are some of your more like? I, I know you mentioned kind of the sheep hunting story, and then and then going back to uh, revisit that, kind of doing a, a second part to that, and then you know maybe some stuff with the the meat processor and stuff where you worked at. But like, are there any kind of like favorite? pieces or articles that you've worked on or got to be a part of over the years that really just kind of stick out in your head and, and as, as something different and something pretty memorable? Yeah, there's definitely one um, that we ran not too long ago. Um, there's this, this guy named Mike Stolt, and he's an Air Force veteran, and um, he flies for, I don't know, somebody out of Texas. He's a commercial airline pilot now. Um, but he's a neat guy. We I hooked, uh, got in touch with him uh, maybe uh, six, seven years ago, and uh, he just started writing some stories for us. And he really got the essence of what Bugle was all about. And he he wrote this one story uh, called Mr. Davis that we printed not too long ago. It was just about him meeting this old gentleman in the parking lot of the grocery store who happened to have an Elk Foundation sticker in the back window. Um, but that's not the story I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is he started this nonprofit um, that would take uh, combat veterans into Idaho to hunt elk. And it would be, uh, you know, these are, these are wounded vets uh, in various ways. And I want to say they're all special forces of some sort. Um, well, he wrote a story about, uh, about all this called In a High Place. And he, so he's from Texas. He would drive up from Texas to Idaho, and he started this camp. And this camp's been three or four years. I want to say it's Camp Gratitude, Idaho, is what he calls it. He may have had to change the name recently, but um, it's this great program that he just he he just takes these guys and he writes about these guys. Um, this particular story in a high place, and um, it just talks about their highs and their lows and their background and their and it's all framed around the elk hunt in idaho and mike's got a really cool way of just capturing the moment and especially with these veterans i mean he's a vet too so he can talk the talk walk the walk and um you're sort of you're there with them so that yeah. we published that i think you can read that online um it's somewhere i'm not exactly sure where but that was really a great piece to work with and we got so much feedback um just it was just unbelievable and he's he's still got his nonprofit, um and he's still um 
you know, taking guys out there. So hopefully they can still do it this year too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really neat when, you know, you can give back to veterans or, you know, organizations that go along the lines to help promote hunting and, and get somebody outdoors that might not be able to do it. That's, that's gotta be really neat hearing those stories and seeing those people and the smiles on their faces and the successes and all that stuff. That's, I, 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 I can see why you would get a lot of positive feedback from that. That's, that's pretty neat. Yeah. And, and it's not like that, but it's just an awesome story. The way yeah. Mike was able to, to, to write that it was just, and he, he's a great writer, just a great guy. Um, and I'm trying to figure out, it's not camp gratitude. That's something else. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what his nonprofit is actually called. So maybe we can circle back to that. Um, but yeah. another story. Go ahead. Well, I just I I'll have to. Mike sounds like a cool dude. I should have him on my podcast at some point. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> oh, I think he would love that. He's got a way better accent than I do. So it's, um, yeah, I'll have to get his contact be, from me. In. I'd love to have him on. Sounds pretty neat. Yeah, I think he would like that. I think he would like that because cool. he 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 does he does a good thing. Um, and I think another story when we talk about writing ourselves um I, I wrote one for um a recent issue about trophy hunting and how trophy we have the a, a column called hunting is conservation and that's sort of a campaign that we've done for a number of years now just to show people even if you don't hunt you know it's okay if you don't hunt we're not going to hold it against you but you got to understand that that's how we pay for wildlife in america yeah and that's how that that's the whole moniker hunting is conservation like um so, and I, I'm not a trophy hunter. Um, I've never been to Africa. I, I, if I, if I do see an elk on public land, it's legal. I'm going to shoot it. Yeah. I don't care necessarily yeah. how big it is. It's going to taste, it's going to taste good one way or the other. So, but in, in writing this story, um, about trophy hunting and namely how trophy hunting in Africa, um, pays for African wildlife. And I use a number of, I'm talking about a whole continent here. So it's kind of a big generalization, but Generally speaking, the research I did for that story really opened my eyes because I, I tried to go into it without a bias one way or the other. Of course, I had you know, my preconceived notions going into the article. But as I started talking with more and more people, more and more professionals and, and economists and people who have been there and know the industry and looking at some of the legis proposed legislation in our own country regarding various um, – you know, trophy aspects of trophy hunting. There's currently, I think, a piece of legislation called the Cecil Act, uh, referencing the old lion. Cecil the lion. Yeah, yeah, not from not so long ago, um, and and just sort of, you know, that act in particular, the the testimony, they had uh, a lady from, I, I want to say it was, I don't remember the exact country, but she was from an African country. So you know. Why wouldn't you just at nobody bothered to ask us how this was going to affect us and our conservation efforts? Maybe you should have done that before you started working on this legislation or proposed to pass this legislation and stuff like that. It's like, whoa, man, like these wildlife preserves are how they fund wildlife in that country. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I'll whatever, however you feel about some person going over there and killing a lion or an elephant or whatever, 
there's going to be a reason. They're going to pay a lot of money to kill that animal, yeah. and that money is going to go back into that resource. Now, setting aside your emotions, no other no other industry is going to do that. Yeah. Um, the the photo tourism and all that. A lot of times, I mean, you go over there and you shoot a giraffe. Well, the giraffe goes to the locals and it goes to the village. You're not going to eat a photo. And nope. <laughs> you know, you're not going to pay. You're not going to pay a hundred grand to go on a photo safari either. So exactly. It really it opened my eyes to stuff like that. It's like, oh, geez, sitting up here in my Montana tower, telling people in the whole continent <laughs> what they should be doing, how they should be managing their wildlife. Well, no, that's not how. It's not how we do it, but it's not how they do it either. So yeah. It's. I don't know. That to me, that was really. That was a fun article to read. And we got some really good uh, or fun article to write, and we got some some, some really good feedback from people, and that was nice. Oh, I'm so. sure. I'm sure. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite articles. It was I want to say it was a couple years back, maybe. I don't know. It maybe you recall this, but it was it was like a guy at a Grand Junction. He was hunting with a buddy in, in Colorado. This is I think it took place back in the 70s or 80s sometime you know a few decades back and and basically they did this horse hunt you know packed in their their wall tent and whatnot and their horses and and uh you know when they got up there the first night uh a lot of people were heading back down the mountain because they knew a storm was coming in and they're like man this is going to be a bad one uh but these two guys these two hunters decided to you know rough it and and say hey we're we're staying no matter what and they woke up the next day to just like white out conditions you know snow up to the top of their tent i mean it was just insane and uh, i just that was just a really really cool article to hear that story and just how bad things got and getting out you know and and just a just a fight for survival at that point. Do you do you remember that particular story? I sure do. I do. And uh I I wish I remember the name of it, but I know I remember working with the guy on that story because if I remember right, it was one of those that came in kind of rough, but you as as you said, there were some details in there. You're just like, "Oh my god, these guys lived through that." Yeah. Like they shouldn't you know, I think one of the horses died. Yeah. Or they had to kill it. Yeah, I think they shot um, one of them, yeah. To... I think they did. And um, they had to dig out. Yeah, we had that illustrated, too, because we didn't have any photos. It was so old. Um, but they had to, they had those Rubbermaid uh, containers with the, and they had to, like, they didn't have any snow shovels. They had to use the oh, Rubbermaid yeah. That's right. con- container or the lid <laughs> to literally dig their trench out. Um, and this stuff was snow was over their head, um, and it just blew my mind. And we got we got some people, some some readers that you know, called BS or gave us some feedback. But I wasn't going to go back to this guy and say, "Yeah, you didn't really live through that. Like you didn't have to it through it." It's like, no, man. When somebody deals with that, and gives you that much detail. Yeah. 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 To the to the point earlier, like that's a hunting story with an angle. There was no dead elk in that story. There's a dead yeah. horse and possibly two dead horses and two dead hunters, but that's an adventure, man. That's that's what people want to read. Exactly. That's what people expect to see in their Bugle magazine when they get it. And if we get one or two stories like that in every issue, boy, 
I don't know what, you know. That's a home run. <laughs> that, that, it is. It is. It's obvious to me. And I will bend over backwards to work with that writer um, to, to, to get that story into the shape we want it to be. So, yeah, stuff like that. I get excited. I'm getting excited just recounting, you know, that story because it just blows your mind. And it's sort of a stark reminder that, you know, it ain't all, it ain't all peaches and plums when you go out there to elk hunt. You know, no. it's fun and all, but it can also kill you. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I totally forgot the aspect that they were having to literally dig themselves a trail in order to move. I mean, because they the, the snow was literally so high that they could not, you know, move without actually digging a trench and a trail to get somewhere. And in back in the day where they don't have GPS or you don't have all this crazy gear that we have nowadays, I mean, it's truly a, a remarkable story. I'm gonna have to find that one again i might have saved that issue i I love that story so much i think i I saved that magazine i'll have to look that up read it again (laughs) that that was yeah that was another great one it really was you should uh you should get the guy i think he's still alive um guy from iowa that killed the last grizzly bear in colorado while on an elk hunt i forget his name but man it'd be cool to do a story with him i know he's in his 80s He's, he's he's pretty elderly at this point but um he was the guy that killed the last grizzly bear in Colorado, and there's, there was kind of a resurgence of, of some of the articles about him, uh, I think last fall or whatever, and and talking about that particular event that happened back in the, I think it was in the 70s or 80s. He was a guide and, yeah. and got charged and attacked, and Colorado Parks and Wildlife, they verified that it was a grizzly, and, and uh, but he was an elk guide, and I, I don't know, that would that'd be a neat story to hear a little bit more about him, and I think that's pretty neat. Uh, you know, I should. Yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah, I'll have to follow up with that. Hopefully, you know, and that's the thing is like some of these folks you wanna, you wanna get these stories down and on record. There's so much that gets lost. In oh yeah. These, these as you know these all these old timers, <laughs> respectfully saying these old timers. I mean they, they've got stories. They really do. I mean, they're not all that politically correct sometimes, but a lot of times they're they're just hardcore and. You know, you read you know, Facebook, hardcore is thrown around, and sometimes those folks are just tough. I mean, oh, yeah. you could not kill those guys <laughs> and gals. So it's just, yeah, there's just some, some cool stories out there. I know. that That is the the, the preservation of, of some of that stuff. I mean, yeah, you look back at our grandfathers or hunting in the 50s or the 30s or the 70s. I mean, those guys were iron man and and i just feel like i'm jello compared to those guys like we we have all this like <laughs> comforts you know we can bring a freaking stove into the back country we can we got this ultra down lightweight you know hunting gear that's breathable and waterproof and you know they were just wearing heavy wool and i mean just primitive more primitive hunting you know rifles without scopes and all this gps stuff i mean it just amazing what they were able to go through and what they were they were doing back then and and it kind of makes me feel inferior in a lot of ways so i want to i want to hear more about those guys you know yeah and you know what amazingly enough they killed animals (laughs) exactly unbelievable yeah Yeah. (laughs) i look at all i look at my hunting closet and i'm like man how much of this stuff do you actually need (laughs) and how much is just bells and whistles i mean don't get me wrong i love a good on a cold morning a nice down coat that's nothing finer than that but i like dry warm feet too but 
there's a lot of stuff that I could probably do without <laughs> on my hunt. Um, it's kind of fun. I mean, they make, um, so I like to, I like to bow hunt right up the, the road from where I live here for whitetails. And, you know, I've, I've been able to pare it down to where I could just wear a vest with just the bare minimum stuff. Like nice. I have a bunch of crap in my truck, right? But if I can just get down to, you got a knife, you got your binos, you got your range finder and you got your bow and your release and like, see if you can make it happen with just that crap, you know, cause it's not, it's not like I'm going to get caught in a snowstorm on the horse or whatever. It's like, it's literally right. Out, I can see my house. Yeah. So it's just one of the, it's one of those things where you're like, all right, do you need all this stuff? Like, maybe someday, <laughs> maybe for that late November cow hunt, you know, maybe exactly. you need a few more things, but <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. no kidding. Yeah. It gets a little crazy. <laughs> I, I, when I started, first started hunting as at like, I think 12 is when you could start hunting in Michigan with a bow. Like everything was so new to me and I had all this gear and whatever. And, but I would always I had this saying, I'd always say to myself when I was leaving, I said, I've, I've got my bow, I've got my arrows, and I've got my release. Anything else is just extra. And I would literally like say that in my head. Cause I was like, as long as I got those three things, like I can still hunt, I can still kill something. It, it, the calls, the range binders, the binoculars, the, backpack the extra clothing the water all that i can get get without you know um so yeah. as long as i got the, the essentials i'm good <laughs> yeah yeah and I, th- I think sometimes we can we can focus more on just sort of the i don't know just the the, the details that don't really matter mm. maybe i'm showing my age but it's a it's a little overwhelming no it, it definitely can be in in and part of that, you know, comes in a little bit of ethics, right? It's like you have all this technology. Where where do you draw the line? And, like, can I kind of feel like I'm in the same boat? It's like I'm at the point where I want to go – I want to turn the other way from technology. Like I, I went to a flip phone, believe it or not, like over a year ago. <laughs> I, like I got rid of my iPhone because – I just got tired of it, you know, and, and I don't want all that at my fingertips all the time. So like, I kind of see myself regressing, uh, as I, as I go further in. Interesting. Uh, yeah. The so flip phone route. Yeah. That could, you got to try that it. That could PJ. be a game changer. You got to yeah. try it. But now my kids, now my kids know how to text though. So it's like, <laughs> I guess they'll just have to call me now. Yeah. Huh. That's the, that's the Maybe worst part about it is texting. Uh, <laughs> like, cause I'm not good with the T9, but like, it brings me back to like when I first got a cell phone, you know, you had to type the number three, like four times in order to get the, the certain letter you want and whatever. But that's the worst part about it is people texting you. But I find myself calling more people. I'd rather talk to people. Oh. And, uh, and then you're and not you distracted. actually have to, yeah, you're not. And you can check your email when you actually get in front of a computer. Exactly. Constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's really, it's honestly helped me out a lot, uh, with my focus and, uh-huh. distractions and yeah like when i'm when i'm at the computer or when i'm working like i'm at my desk i'm at my office and that's what i'm doing you know i'm not checking my email at night i'm not checking my email here you know it's just like here's my set hours and i don't know i've, I've been it's kind of off topic but i uh <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm a very big proponent of of the flip phone and going back to that route plus they're gonna yeah, start tracking you pj you gotta watch out for that <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I do take my phone with me when I go hunting though I, I have found that there are certain apps out there um, I'll just go ahead and throw it out there Onyx Maps yeah, yeah, yeah. like pretty darn cool yeah um, yeah 100% it has saved me 
numerous times. Hey, I don't want to trespass. I don't want to break the law. Exactly. Um, and sometimes those fences eh, aren't exact. You know, with block management here, it's so funny because, I mean, I think FWP does a great job with the block management program, but sometimes their maps are a little wonky. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait a minute. You know, and Onyx will load them up. And you're like, where am I? What? Uh, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I am safe. This is cool. I could have shot that deer, but oh, you're being too cautious. Okay, well, all right. Um, it, that, that's I really appreciate that sort of stuff. Oh, like yeah. That technology I can get down with. Oh yeah, yeah. No, me too. I I actually have my old old iPhone from like five years ago. That that's all I use it for is because I don't want to be. Like that's a lightsaber, like you said. For a hunter, there's there's no better <laughs> app that you can get. <laughs> it's a mm-hmm. it's a lifeline. So I do use it for that, but um, yeah, it's uh, technology. It's uh, it's interesting piece. Um, with with that, do you see DC Bugle Magazine kind of maybe morphing a little bit more into the digital side? Like I know I know you can reach, uh, or you know if you're a member, you can log in and you can you know, read each issue online, but, um, I know you mentioned earlier a little bit more like video work and stuff like that. Like, do you, do you see some big changes ahead for Bugle in the next 10 decade or what does that look like? Well, I hope not. Um, <laughs> I, Keep I, paper. I don't for, <laughs> I don't foresee, uh, the paper issue of Bugle going anywhere no. anytime soon. Yeah. Um, People just like to have it. They like to take it to elk camp. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're fortunate enough to their to where their elk camp doesn't get cell reception, so yes. they can't read anything online. So it's on the dashboard of the truck, and people can read it. Um, anyway, that's my <laughs> that's my pipe dream. Um, yeah, but I don't honestly. Uh, I think our readers appreciate getting the magazine in the mail. Um, they want to get it in the mail, um, so that's not going away. Uh, what we are doing more is more digital outreach. So you can read Bugle online if you so choose. Um, you can. We do the videos that I talked about, the Gear 101 videos. We've got some cool. Um, so we just redid our website at rmef.org, um, and one of the things that's really cool is that I'm pulling it up right now so I can speak uh, knowledgeably. Um, yeah, same here. We. Ha- we up. pulled up the elk network and then incorporated that into the website. Yeah, because the elk, elk network, network was kind of like like a lot of the articles and online content, wasn't it? Exactly. Exactly. And I'm trying to figure out, this is embarrassing because I probably should have looked at this <laughs> prior to do that, but I go to elk Okay, so actually, if you do, if you just type in your search bar elknetwork.com, it will come to that link, and then you've got your videos. Um, oh yeah, Army of Films is another cool thing that we've been doing for a while. Um, we've been doing these uh, th- these various shorter snippets on. We used to have uh, elk hunting TV show. Um, yeah, so, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, and now we're sort of shifted our focus to um, these shorter films, these more artistic films. Yeah, they're very cool. Um, kind of like Bugle stories. Uh, a lot of times they don't end up with anything dead. Um, they're ju- they just tell a story about a person, be it uh, the country music guy Craig Morgan or somebody else has a has a cool story to tell. So, yeah. Um, that's been pretty cool to see evolve. Um, 
through RMEF Films. And then if we've got all kinds of topics. We've got recipes coming out the ears. We've got Gear 101 where you have your gear lists. Uh, we do gear reviews or get the lowdown on various things, how to put trail cameras out in the field. And then um, there's a hunting there's hunting content, blood trailing, elk 101, um, proper etiquette for tipping an elk guide. Everybody's got an opinion on that. Um, we do a lot of work with Randy Newberg, who is a great personality. Um, yeah. He is, yes. a, he is a fun guy. Um, you know, stuff like that. There's uh, the gutless gutting method uh, that he explains in utter detail. Yeah. Um, so stuff like that. There's just uh, so much information on Elk Network that it's ridiculous. I mean, it's it's just fun to go through every now and again and just see like, oh yeah, I remember that article. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a good one. How sh- how can we reinvent that one? Or we did we filmed one called Bone Out of Hindquarter. You know, how are you gonna do that? We did that in the warehouse here at headquarters. One of the guys killed an elk early in the ar- archery season, so he let us bone out his elk quarter for him. Nice. So that was nice. Yeah, yeah stuff like that. So um, yeah, very, that's very that's tactical, hands-on stuff. The infer- there. Yeah, exactly. So more information, quality information. But as far as bugle in the magazine, that's not going anywhere. <laughs> I like it. I, I like to hear that. Yeah, and the digital side is cool though to like go back and like for example, I'm gonna probably do a little research later on trying to go back and find that article if I can't put my hands on that magazine that I saved uh you know you can go back and reference those articles and and look at that stuff from from past issues which is which is pretty neat as well mm-hmm. yeah well very cool um well this has been really fun PJ and I've I've enjoyed this and uh before we drop off here where where can we go to find out a little bit more about RMEF and Bugle Magazine and becoming a member and all that stuff. Tell us, tell us a little bit Ab- about that. Absolutely. So check us out at RMEF, as in Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation dot org. And so if you go there, um, you can become a member. You can check out where we can serve. You can check out uh, maybe you want to get involved with your local chapter banquets, or maybe you just want to spend some time watching some short films. You can do all that there, and then. Also, if you just type in elknetwork.com, that'll take you to all that juicy hunting info and recipes and things like that. I love it. I love it. Well, this has been really cool, PJ. I, I really appreciate it. As, as somebody who, uh, myself, who enjoys writing and, and hunting and, and this whole realm that you're working in, I, I found it very interesting and, and uh, loved every minute of it. So uh, at some point, we'll have to get you back on. We'll dive into some more hunting stories and talk a little bit further about some of this stuff I, I had a great time well thanks adam i did too i appreciate it and uh keep doing what you're doing all right and there we go another episode in the books big thanks to pj for coming on the show i've i really enjoyed that that was such a great time talking to pj and hearing his stories and hearing about becoming a writer and working for bugle and and just the organization itself it was it was just so much fun. So we'll, we'll definitely have PJ back on for a future episode. And if you're not already a member of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, please go do that. It's, it's such a great organization. And even if you live in Michigan, even if you live in California, Florida, New York, if you've yet to hunt elk, if you've yet to hunt in the West, um, 
it's still a great organization to be a part of, and they do so much more than just elk hunting and elk conservation. It's all wild things, all wild places, and opening up public land access and protecting our water and streams and 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 just wildlife in general. So that's it's a it's a top notch organization. And with that, you get Bugle Magazine, man, and and it honestly, is my favorite magazine to read. I cannot wait for that issue to show up in my mailbox. I chomp at the bit and look forward to that more than any other magazine I've ever read. So uh, you definitely got to become a member just for the magazine itself, plus you're supporting um, so many good things about wildlife and, and conservation here in the U.S., which is which is great. And be on the lookout. I have my article in the latest issue of Bugle Magazine. So if you get a chance to read that and you like it or don't like it or you thought it was eh, okay, <laughs> send me an email. I want to hear your thoughts or send me a message. I, I want to want to hear what you think about it. Uh, it was it was fun to work with PJ and, and fun to do that whole process. And hopefully I'll come out with another article at, at some point down the line and uh, make it happen again. So we'll we'll see. But again, I appreciate everybody for tuning in. Thanks to our partners, Expedition Archery, Skull Brew Coffee, and Outdoor Edge Knives. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon.